Paul, why don't you introduce our, our guest for this episode of Because Mom Said So? I would be happy to. Well, I'm so excited that we have Dr. Judith Joseph here, who is a rock star when it comes to women's health with menopause and mental health. And she could talk more about her expertise and her background. But I met her at a conference, actually at a panel discussion a couple of months ago when I was working with Meta and I did Teens and Screens. And she was there and an invited guest. And she had lots of good insight and perspective coming from a mental health capacity. And we just struck up a conversation and a colleague, if you will. But I mean, she's like a real doctor. Like I'm not, I'm a, I'm a doctor of education, but she's like the real deal when it comes to like being a doctor. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm very excited to have her as our guest. I'm so glad you guys agreed to it. She recently worked with Oprah. I mean, so Oprah, I mean, yeah. she's worked with Oprah and now she's coming here. I know. <laughs> Bottom of the barrel. But when you said menopause, because you know, I've been literally ripping off my clothes lately. I mean, legit, I was driving the other day and I had to rip my sweatshirt off as I was driving because I was having such a hot flash and I'm like... Okay, I'm having a hot flash. And my kids are like, okay, mom, you're in your bra. And I'm like, sorry, but I didn't know what to do. I could, I was panicking. I can't wait for you to tell her that story. So here we go. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. And Holly is great. We recently did this meta event together and she was just a joy. I felt so lucky I was at our table. So thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. I couldn't stop singing your praises. I'm like, you are the real deal. I think in varying capacities, when I mentioned the topic that you could speak on, we, we could have you on here forever. And we don't do many guests very often, but when we heard what your specialty is, we're, we just we were so excited, so excited to hear your words of wisdom. And hopefully we'll let you answer. We have a lot of questions, but I'm sure there are things you want to tell us as well, but we have a lot of questions. Yeah. Holly sent the email. She's like, we're having her on. If she <laughs> agrees to do it, you ladies need to listen to. Now, do you go by Dr. Joseph or Dr. Judith Joseph? Dr. Judith. Yay. Okay. I apologize. I'm a little under the weather, so I've got this raspy thing going on. So that's okay. You sound sexy. Kelly is too. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Judith, do you want to... Come just tell us a little bit about yourself since the other ladies have not had a chance to meet you. Why don't you tell them a little about, about yourself in your own words because you're quite accomplished and successful. So I'm a board certified psychiatrist. So I primarily deal in mental health issues. I can prescribe medications and also do talk therapy. So mm. in my practice in Manhattan, I see children, adolescents, adults, families, sometimes couples. And I work with them to do a combination of both medication management and therapy. And I also teach at NYU in Columbia, where I teach young doctors how to basically give press interviews. I'm sure you all saw that sometimes like during the pandemic, doctors would be up there talking about blah, blah, blah. And like, you're just like, what are you talking about? So I train <laughs> these young doctors, some of them are medical students, some of them are doctors, but I train them how to talk to the public so that people actually understand and are interested in what they're saying. And so that training got me into media. And so I've been doing a lot of media over the past seven years. Usually people will call me up, sometimes cold call me like, can you do this? And I have like news crew in my office. Sometimes I go on set. So I, I love what I do because with psychiatry, I find mental health issues just so fascinating. And even just human uh, psychology fascinating. You follow a child throughout all these uh, developmental milestones and 
you work with families and you just get to see how people grow and thrive. And so I just, I love what I do. And I love the fact that I can do a lot of cool things like coming on podcasts and talking with you all and, you know, working with media to make sure that the message is accurate. That's really I love interesting. That. And I bet they love you on camera because you just happen to be gorgeous too. You smart, look like 20. <laughs> smart and gorgeous. So how fun for you. Well, thank you for what you do. Thank you. So we have our own kind of mental issues. <laughs> but that's that's another story. We'll get into that. But do you work? I know you said you see adults, couples, children. Do you have a specialty? Do you prefer the kids over the adults? Or? Most psychiatrists see adults because it's counterintuitive. You would think that you would learn about children first and then learn about adults. But most psychiatrists they do psychiatry training and adult mental health issues. And then you have the option of doing an additional two years because mm. most medical students don't want to deal with delaying their earnings. They opt yeah. out of the additional training in child psychiatry because they just want to start making money. So after adult psychiatry, I did an additional two years of child mental health training because I really wanted to have a 50-50 practice where I saw 50% children, 50% adults. So I do both. That's fabulous because I. it's very hard to find. Very. It's yeah. one of the smallest fields in all of medicine is child No. That's a shame because I don't know. Lately, it seems, I guess it's because of COVID. There are so many more issues now that we're made aware of with children and, you know, mm-hmm. their, their mental well-being. Absolutely. I don't know if you saw the headlines, but like in February, the CDC announced that there was a crisis. Yeah. With, uh, adolescents. The numbers were really scary. Like one in 10 kids, uh, I think, like had been contemplating suicide. And then, yeah. um, you know, a lot of young girls uh-huh. have been reporting depression and, you know, sexual assault, which was, I think, really surprising. That's so surprising. One out of 10? Sad. That's alarming. Do you have any recommendations for parents? Because we have a lot of parents who listen to our podcast, as well as young people as well. If they're looking for a mental health provider, or even if it's one of us as an adult, what things should we be looking for if we want if we wanted to look for someone for a mental health provider? And is it different for children as opposed to adults? The thing with mental health care is that there are different types of providers. So it can hmm. be overwhelming if you don't know what to look for. So if you're looking for an evaluation, a lot of times people will go first through their pediatrician and get a list of providers that the pediatrician has, or they'll go on their insurance plan. And, you know, a a therapist can be a licensed clinical social worker who has additional training in therapy. That's the majority of the therapists out there because there's a shorter path to training and they're more affordable generally, because when you start getting into looking for like someone with a PhD or a PsyD or a doctor of education, like you, Holly, like even a medical degree, it becomes a lot more difficult because there are fewer of people with those higher degrees. And then the need is just so great. It's almost, it feels almost impossible. And I think it is to meet the need because there are just so few of us who provide these services. One of the great Ah. websites I recommend is psychology today. Put in your um, insurance information, code, you can put in like what you're looking for, child versus adult, therapy versus meds, you know, so you can use that um, search engine to find a provider. That's great. That's a great resource right yes. there because I think so often people, one, they feel alone and two, they're like, where do you begin? And sometimes, and it also has a stigma when you talk about mental. I love yeah. now that people feel more comfortable talking about it, but still 
they don't always talk as freely, but we talk about it frequently, but we don't really know what we're talking about. So that's why it was so, I mean, we don't, we, we just don't have that type of expertise like you. So to have some of your background, we can really point us in the right direction, especially for our listeners, because it's something that I think many people grapple with. And we're just very open about that because we want people not to feel ashamed or like they can't talk to a loved one and get help or to find out where the resources are. I'm so grateful for the community that, um, you know, I think it's so different these days. My daughters both have a therapist. They have the same therapist. You know, it took us a long time to find someone that they really feel comfortable with. And she has uh, accomplished like you are, uh, but she does specialize in teens and, um, you know, in the 20s. She's fabulous. And I've recommended her to so many people. And with the world today, you could do it all on Zoom or FaceTime. And, uh, you know, that really does help kids and adults, of course. But I'm very grateful for those resources. It helps with the stigma too, because a lot of patients will say that, okay, sometimes I look around my corner to see who sees me coming into like the doctor's office and they don't want anyone to see them. And it's like, I mean, you got to validate their concerns because it's not Mm -hmm. accepted and openly talked about in a lot of families and cultures. So Zoom and teletherapy and even phone therapy is just, I think, one of the silver linings of a terrible pandemic that it made things more accessible. So Mm -hmm. even people who have, you know, they're not ready to be open about it, they can have access to care. Oh my gosh, Jill, I love my cardigan from Jenny Kane because I love a cardigan. I throw it in the car. Sometimes I throw it in my bag when I go shopping. If I'm cold, hot, take it off and on. It's so comfortable. Yeah. What's nice is it washes well. They have cotton and cashmere. I love a cashmere, uh, but I do like cotton too. You know, it's nice that you could just throw it in your bag. Yes. Well, support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. Perfect timing with Mother's Day around the corner. Jenny Kane makes for the perfect Mother's Day gift. Think minimalist meets luxury. So you're talking about your cardigan. Mm -hmm. I have this boyfriend blouse. Oh my God. It's like, you know, a button up white blouse. I tie it up. I wear it with jeans. Mm -hmm. In the summer, I will put it over my bathing suit. It's 100% cotton, lightweight, easy to wash. That's the product I like the most from Jenny Kane. But Jenny Kane items are classic, comfortable, and California-inspired clothes. From the cotton or cashmere knit sweater you're obsessed with, Melissa, Mm -hmm. to the flowy summer dress you never want to take off. And for a limited time, our listeners get 15% off their entire order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BMSS to get 15% off. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. No matter what the season, their dresses are the it item and you will get compliments. For sure, their Riviera slip dress is the definition of luxury, and the Cove dress is so effortless to style, you can just feel the difference. Jenny Kane is known for their luxuriously lightweight, perfect for any season sweaters, which I love. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the cotton, Mm -hmm. the cotton cocoon cardigan, that's what I love. Uh, I love, love, love. Yeah. These are good core pieces you can dress up or down all season. Because let's face it, you're in California. Mm -hmm. Weather is different. I'm here in Pittsburgh. But anybody can use a nice lightweight cardigan. And you know what's really cute? They're leather, not sandals. The leather gives them such an elevated touch, and they work well with anything. You can put it on with a long dress. You can put it on with jeans, shorts. I just really love them. 
That's Jenny Kane Apparel. Don't forget, Mother's Day is coming. Hey, all you listeners out there with a mom, maybe you might want to think about going on to Jenny Kane's site. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code BMSS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order. I'm going to spell it for you. J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com. Promo code B-M-S-S. Moms, this is your month. You deserve it. May I ask a question for people that have like, I think it's called access now. In the years past, they used to call it welfare insurance. Is that right? Is it called access? So and it's different per state. So every state has a different like uh, plan based on whatever the legislation is. Is it harder for them? Because I know in California, the people I serve, the community I serve, they really have a hard time with getting therapy for their children. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not familiar with California. I know that New York state has really great benefits, even people who can't afford out of pocket and people who are on the state health plan have access Mm -hmm. to uh, phone numbers. Basically it's teletherapy where they can call up and get X amount of sessions. And New York city is very different. Like New York city has city hospitals where people can get treatment for free or sliding scale. So I don't know. I don't know what it's like in California. One of the places to start is NAMI. NAMI is an organization that has chapters, N-A-M-I, and they have chapters throughout the United States. And um, they have like resources and can point you towards like online peer groups. So like, even if you're like on a wait list to see a therapist, you don't have to wait until that wait list calls your name to start doing things about it. You can start joining online pair groups. Some of them are free where you have like, basically it's not treatment because they can't technically be treatment, but it's, it's basically support from other people. For example, you can get on there as a parent and say, my child has this, how, what are you doing with your child? So you have that support. People recommend books. Like I, I tell my patients, whenever you go to see a doctor, the first time, read a book, read something reputable on what you're going to ask about so that you have knowledge because your doctor only has like 15, 20 minutes with you. So you don't want to go in for the first time knowing like, I don't know anything about this. And I'll go to the doctor for the first time, you're going to be overwhelmed. So try and do your research about these mental health topics before you even start treatment. So you know, where you know, basically have some background knowledge. Do you think that we're hearing so much like that statistic one in 10. We're hearing so much about it now because it's out in the open. Or do you think maybe people always had this and we never talked about it? Or do you think these are new problems that our society has now? It's hard to tell. I think it's a little bit of both. I read recently one study from McKinsey where they were looking at generations. So like Gen Z is more likely to openly talk about their mental health than any other generation. And it just progressively gets smaller as you go older, right? And there's less generational stigma Mm -hmm. in younger generations. I also do think that looking at pandemic literature from previous Mm -hmm. countries that have pandemics, like countries in Asia, Europe, we know that after a pandemic, People tend to have, you know, irritability, low mood, poor sleep, a lot of stress related to the pandemic. So I think it's a combination of both. So sad. What? It's mm. a shame. However, it doesn't have to be sad. Like people can get help. Right. It's true. When we were in high school, it's really funny because I still am friends with a lot of people from school. And we talk about, we didn't have bullying. We And I think, you know, 
we probably did, but we just didn't notice it. I mean, because it was just a different time. You know, we didn't have social media and it was so different. We were so much happier. It was such a simple life. And, you know, we say these poor kids today have so much pressures on them. And I think that body imaging is getting so much better in the world. You don't have to be this perfect stick skinny. I mean, there's still those girls that filter, 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 but I think that people are loving their bodies more today, this new generation, and it's, I'm so proud of them. I'm glad you brought up bullying because the interesting thing in that CDC report, which anyone could go and watch that they presented it online, they didn't see an increase in bullying. So like, I think you're right in terms of body image. I think that imagine when we were kids, we didn't have like 24 uh, seven access to like images and, and never ending, you know, scrolling. Children are being bombarded with this nonstop information and nonstop comparisons in terms of body image and everything else, right? So I, I do think they have challenges that our generations did not have. And I think we do have to validate that and address it. You're right, because it's a constant and you just have to force yourself to turn it off, but you're physically doing that because you can't turn off the internet. The internet's always going. So it's an ongoing battle. I, I do have a question, which I'm thinking, because I was trying to prep a little bit for our, I have so many questions for our conversation. So many, so many, so many. <laughs> so one is I never thought of menopause of depression being connected to menopause. I think of menopause and I think of hot flashes and that like that immediately comes to mind. But is there a mental health component also related to menopause that maybe women aren't even picking up on? That's my first question. I have something else related to that. I mean, so menopause really is a, is a natural progression of our development. And for, for women, hormones play a really important part in a lot of our function, right? Remember if you back when you had your period and you were like, why do I, like when you first got your period and you were like, why do I feel this way? Like something's off. And then you, you got your period. And now you know that every time you get your period, you feel you may have mood fluctuations. Same with postpartum depression. A lot of times people are talking about this now, but a couple of years ago, they weren't. Women would feel the blues. 80% of women feel some form of the blues in the postpartum period and some develop, you know, clinical depression that's related to hormones. So mm. menopause is another hormonal uh, transition in a woman's life. Basically the ovaries stop producing eggs and you have drops in estrogen and progesterone and it can impact your mood. It can impact your sleep. It can impact, you know, the body functions like your skin. Um, and that's why sometimes your skin is less supple. You can have hot flashes. You know, there's like lists of like over 30 symptoms you could have. And the reason that Dr. Holly, you don't know is because a lot of times doctors didn't know themselves. So like, I remember mm -hmm. in medical school, I probably got like one hour of menopause training. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And there are there are recent reports where doctors are reporting even less training, unless you're like in GYN. And even then you're not getting, you're getting probably a month average of training and people are in menopause for half of their lives. So basically half of a woman's life is not really being studied. So, you know, the, the whole Oprah Daily collaboration was to really educate women about what is menopause, what is perimenopause, what can happen? Are you, are you experiencing this? You're not alone. And to normalize the discussion and to answer your first question, uh. is it a mental health issue? It's not, it's, we, we want to be careful about the language because we don't want people to say like women are menopausal, they're hormonal, but there is a, it does mimic depression because with depression, you put concentration with the brain fog, you know, low mood. So all those things are similar. They're seen in menopause, but it's not equivalent 
to major depressive disorder. And that's important. It's important to distinguish it too because the treatments are very different. One is hormonal treatments and other treatments and the other one is antidepressants and therapy. Oh, isn't that something? Dr. Drew, the, so I still get my period every 28. I'm 54. I'm going to be 55 in June. I still get my period every month. So do I. But it's very <laughs> light. But I have had hot flashes to the point where literally I said, I was driving and I had to take my shirt off because I literally thought I was going to die. I had one on the airplane, but I layer on the airplane. So I was able to just have a tank top off. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's funny because people are saying, oh, you're going to have mood swings. And, and you know, you hear women, you're going to get fat. You're going to get this. So I make sure I started to eat really healthy. I lost almost 20 pounds. I feel healthy. I'm so happy. Even when I have hot flashes, I literally laugh about it. And I'm like, I am not going to be that woman that's going to be mean and grumpy. And, and like, is that like you're saying, is that the case with most people? Or is it just a stigma? Like people say, oh, you're going to be grumpy because you're going through menopause. Oh, it's just menopause, you know? You know, like what I tell the women that I treat is that there are the three Ps. I made them easy because I think that if you realize that it's this easy, you'll remember when you go to see a doctor, is it major depressive disorder or is it menopause? Is it the moods, the mood changes that occur due to hormonal fluctuations, which is natural and normal, right? First of all, in major depressive disorder, you're not going to get changes in your period. You're experiencing changes in your period. You don't have loss of period yet, but eventually that will happen. So you don't have a change in period with depression, but you do in menopause, physical changes. Oh. You don't have hot flashes. You don't have these palpitations with major depressive disorder, but you do with menopause, right? There are physical changes in menopause. And lastly, people with a family history of depression, or they've had their own history of depression, they're more likely to have subsequent or additional episodes of depression. So if you're having your first episode of like real moodiness and depression in midlife, your doctor should be thinking, is this menopause or is this major depressive disorder? Most likely it's menopause, right? Which is a lot of women experience it. Not all. Really? Yeah. Not all women experience the moodiness and the irritability. Okay, good. My sister's doctor said they gave her a blood test to find out if she was in menopause. Is that like accurate or? So the data shows that it's not accurate to just say everyone get a blood test. Everyone's body is different. So some women have other gynecological issues that will skew those blood results. So it's not as simple as saying, go get a blood test. Your doctor has to look at your medical history and see what, you know, do you have polyps? Do you have uterine fibroids? Do you have a history of uh, ovarian cysts? All those things can impact your blood level of your hormones. But menopause is really a diagnosis of a clinical presentation. It usually marks after a year of no periods and you can say that you're in menopause. Uh, but the perimenopausal period tends to lead up with what you're ex explaining, Melissa, like leading up to it. You can have those symptoms. You can have those physical symptoms that you're explaining um, in the perimenopausal period. And there's a lot of data now that shows that it's treatable. Like you can go for treatment. Oh, I want that. I want that. <laughs> you guys remember, I forget what actress, Lauren, Lauren Bacall, in the late 80s, Hormone replacement therapy was huge for menopausal women or perimenopausal women. Do you, is that now you don't hear anything about hormone replacements, like, like pills and estrogen and progesterone. Hmm. I forget the names of the products, but do they still recommend that? I'm glad you brought that up, Jill. That was like part of the, a large part of the discussion because there was a big study in 2002 that was highly publicized. You know, basically they looked at uh, hormone treatment 
and mm-hmm. to see if there if there was any correlation between a rise in or a decrease in cardiovascular disease. But what they found in that study, which which was incorrectly reported, was that there was a rise in breast cancer. Now that that data mm-hmm. has been debunked since, but no one came out and announced it the way they did the initial study. There's just a lot of misinformation about hormone therapy. And in most cases, it's very safe and it's mm. really the go-to. And that's really why a lot of women are coming out and saying, listen, we have to educate ourselves about this because there are many doctors that even don't even know that that study was not valid and that the findings mm-hmm. were, were debunked. And so mm-hmm. they just say, you know, what? I don't want to deal with the lawsuit. I'm just not writing it. And then women are suffering for no reason. Oh, isn't that something? That is. That was going to be my question was about hormone therapy. Like, is that something viable? And so what does it do? And is that something you should ask your doctor about? Definitely ask your doctor about it because there are, and ask how much experience they have. Ask the doctor, how many cases like this have you treated? Because a lot mm-hmm. of the doctors maybe have done maybe one or two. So you don't want to go there. Heck no. Right. Yeah. And what are your success rates? How do I know which hormone is right for me? Am I a good candidate for this? What are the risk factors? What Show me the data on whether or not I'll be one of those people that shouldn't be taking it and I'll have an adverse event, right? So go with these questions and ask your doctor. And then when we start talking about it openly amongst our friends and, and our colleagues, then, you know, just like how Melissa was saying, oh, my, I re- recommended this therapist to so-and-so. When we start talking about the good experiences and bad experiences with doctors, then we can share the knowledge, right? And it's less mm-hmm. stigma and, and we feel empowered. We don't feel like we're alone. And I think that's important to not feel alone, not feel like you're going through this by yourself and there's something wrong with you. Is hiring a challenge? Do you love a challenge? Do you need a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge? You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. And they do literally do it all for you. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to a job than candidates that only see it in a search, according to U.S. Indeed data. They get you one step closer to hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. Yeah. I mean, who has time these days to go through all this? Indeed does the hard work for you. Indeed shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description again immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Now that's really good quality right there. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined. And that's according to Talent Nest in 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsor job credit to upgrade your job posting at indeed.com slash mom. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash mom. Indeed.com slash mom. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So who do you ask 
do you go to your gynecologist and ask them about the hormone therapy and then see if they're, you know, even within your networks, your individual networks, in whichever states you're in, they will know. They'll know. And then uh, the North American Menopause Society has a list of, of doctors that specialize as well. So the thing is that people just don't know where to look. Reputable places where you can find doctors mm-hmm. who are actually specializing in this, who know which type of hormones to use, because there are so many different ways you can get it. Oh, yeah. There used to be patches. I remember now patches and oral pills. They have pellets. They have all different types. But how do you know which one's for you? Even on social media, there are really um, well-known doctors. Dr. Heather Hirsch, she talks about it a lot. Uh, Dr. Sharon Malone, she's a menopause expert. Marie Haver-Claire, I think, is another one. But they have huge um, social media followings because they talk about the different types of hormones. And then there are great books out there uh, mm-hmm. that talk about the different types of treatments, both holistic, like how to prepare your body for menopause, um, really encouraging younger people to think about it. And you should be thinking about this in your twenties and thirties, getting your body ready for it, right? Because you want to make sure that you're on the right diet, that you're taking the right protective measures for bone health, because we know that in the postmenopausal period, you're at higher risk for osteoporosis. And so you want to make sure that you're lifting the right uh, weights and you know making sure your bones are prepared for the challenges ahead of you. And so there are ways that you can learn about it before you even get that appointment. Cause sometimes the appointment takes forever. Oh, that's yeah. good. Oh. I was say, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that people in their twenties wow. should start thinking about it because we thought like, Oh, you, you have to wait till your fifties. You don't have to yeah. worry about it. But what it sounds like is, especially when you said it's like, is it a third or a half of your life? This is something that women have to We I just thought, Oh, 10 years and that's it. But you're saying it postmenopausal for half of your life, right? After you, yeah. uh, you live long. So maybe mm-hmm. you don't live that long, then maybe a third. But if you think about it, if you most people go through menopause 51, 52, then if you live until like the, your 90s, 80s, that's a lot large portion of your life that's really not being highlighted. And we know that women are valuable at all stages. You know, like women continue to lead corporations, they continue to be crucial in their communities. So why are we depriving women of knowing about ways to improve their quality of life? It just, it yeah. just seems wrong. And so we need mm-hmm. to educate ourselves about that. My, my mom went through it really, really young. My mom passed away at 57, but I remember it was either in her late thirties or early forties. She was having hot flashes. I remember it because I would be in the dressing room at JC Penney's with her and she'd be trying on bras and she'd <laughs> be like, oh, boom, I'm having a hot flash. And she was young. Like, would that affect me at all or no? Well, since I'm actually 54. Well, usually we do look for family. I'm glad you brought that up. So people who have family histories where women have gone into early menopause or earlier than what's considered average, that tends to be passed down. So that's why we should be talking about it in our twenties and thirties. We should be preparing our daughters for what to expect. You know, imagine if no one ever told you you were going to get your period and one day you're like moody and blood comes gushing out of you. You'd be like, what the? (laughs) Okay, sissy spacek. It's funny because my girls, just the other day, my older daughter said, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm having a heat flash. She goes, oh, mom, you're just going through menopause. And I said, oh, how do you know about that? She's 20. She goes, are you kidding me? And I love that, you know, that she recognized that that's what I'm going. But she said, you're a happy person going through menopause. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) I know every body, every woman is different, but do people, lots of people just go through menopause and grow old gracefully without medication? Or do you recommend medication, you know, hormone Mm. replacement or? If your symptoms are really um, impairing your functioning, then you really should seek 
treatment and at least a, a first or second opinion. You know, a lot of people are afraid of mm. cancer. They don't want to be that one in whatever that gets it. And mm-hmm. so like, I think that's scary for a lot of people, you know, women are the cornerstones of their family. So they don't want to risk, uh, you know, anything happening to them because they're really afraid of what happens if they're not there. So I think that it would be invalidating to say that that's not a legitimate concern. I think it is. And that's why I say that you should talk to your providers about it because you want to know the risk versus benefits versus, versus alternatives. And everyone's medical history is different. We want to make sure that people are getting tailored treatment for their specific symptoms. And can I t- ask you a question? But you know, you being a therapist, do, do people, do women feel like they're not women anymore? Because I kind of felt like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, does it mean I'm not a woman anymore? I know that sounds weird, but is that a- It doesn't sound weird at all. And I hear that all the time. And, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to issues that affect women, we get shamed, we get guilted into, you know, feeling bad about how we feel, which is Mm -hmm. wrong. You know, Um, a lot of women do feel like, okay, I can't reproduce anymore. Is that I'm less than, right? And I think that's a societal issue that gets, you know, imposed upon us. It doesn't mean that you have to be less attractive. It doesn't mean that you are less sexy, that you can't have sex. Like it's the opposite of that, you know? A lot of women feel more comfortable the older they get because they know who they are. And so I think that when we start to talk about our bodies openly and our changes openly, and there's not this idea that we're alone or we're different, and then we normalize the conversation, I think that's the first step in really addressing that stigma that you know, we're undesirable once we go through menopause. Oh, thank you for that. I mean, that makes me feel better because that's kind of how I was feeling in the back of my mind. A lot of people feel that way. I can't wait till I don't get my period anymore. I'm like annoyed. <laughs> Every mom, like, my God, I'm late fifties. What the hell? Uh-huh. <laughs> but I don't get hot flashes, which is so strange. I get horrible headaches. Oh, when you have your period? Well, yeah, like yeah, usually prior to it, um, but I never used to. So I feel like that is my symptom of perimenopause. Wow. You know what I mean? However, my body temperature, I'm hot all the time. Like, but I don't get a, like a flash of it. I'm just always warm. Even in across cultures, in some parts of Asia, when people are, when you measure their temperature and you're seeing their body go into hot flash and you ask them, are you having a hot flash? They'll say no. So like, it's even the way that we report our symptoms. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It is funny. Like we all experience, we may experience on a cellular level, the same thing, but on a psychological level, we'll report it differently, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. I also wonder, like, I'm so glad you gave this language because I think for me, it was just more, I don't feel like myself. That's the best way I could describe it. And I haven't been diagnosed with being in menopause or anything like that, but I feel like that's the chapter that I'm now entering because of the mood swings would be one thing. And I never associated mood, mood swings with menopause. I'd never heard that that stigma or that correlation or anything like that before. But thinking about waking and hot flashes and just seeing like my, I am, my, I do feel different. I don't feel the same as I did 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but having a, you know, some language to go with that or some knowledge to have the conversations and feeling open about having those conversations, because honestly, I can't say I had those conversations necessarily growing up. So I'm glad and feel very fortunate that we had this conversation happening now. Mm-hmm, me too. At the menopause chat rooms, a lot of women will say that I don't feel like myself. I'm not sleeping as well. 
I have brain fog. I'm forgetting things that I never forgot, you know, um, just know it will pass. And for some certain treatments actually ease those, right. Mm. Those symptoms, but that is a common symptom of like a report. Like I don't feel like myself. It's funny. I took a test. It was a 10 question test to see if I was, I had Alzheimer's. <laughs> I know that sounds so stupid, but I was like, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting all this stuff. So there was like this test and I, I did, I had no to all of them. So I was like, okay, it's just me going through probably <laughs> menopause. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of data shows that people who do go through early menopause are at higher risk for Alzheimer's dementia. Oh, oh that is interesting. It is. It is. And, and what they found is the deposits, the amyloid plaques and the proteins that they find in brains of people when after they've deceased people with dementia, uh, yeah. Alzheimer's dementia, those plaques tend to increase in people who have early menopause, but the brain fog is very different in menopause compared to Alzheimer's dementia. For one with Alzheimer's dementia, people get very confused. So, that, so they may lose orientation to like person, place, and time. So for example, sometimes it'd be like, where am I? Who are you? You know, yeah. you won't no. see that with menopause. You're not going to be confused. Okay. Oh, thanks for telling me that. Yeah. That's, that's no. that. <laughs> you have short-term memory loss and eventually you start to lose those long-term memories. The memory loss with uh, menopause is short-lived and it tends to not be as severe. And then menopause will pass. Like those, that brain fog will pass. It doesn't last, but dementia worsens. How long is menopause? I know everybody's different, but. It's different. That for some women, it can be as long as like five years. I read one case report where some well, one woman was in it for like 10 years, but that's extreme. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Gosh. Like the people are, you know, going through it in like maybe two years is average. So I would have hot flashes for two years. You may not have the same symptoms for two years. You may have them initially, but then they subside. But certain people who have a risk for early menopause. Uh, have different data too. I was in a dress. My husband had a rip much. I'm like, take my dress off. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Support for today's episode is brought to you by Docatot. Mamas, it's your month. If you're expecting, have a newborn or looking for a really awesome gift, we have some perfect items for you. Docatot is the lifestyle brand made for the modern parent and creates functional solutions for feeding, playing, resting, sleeping, lounging, and beyond. From their adorable sleep essentials to their nursing pillows that double as home decor, the Docatot brand grows with your families through every stage of phase. If you're a mama and, you know, your baby is only young for a, a hot minute, you don't want to spend a lot of money mm -hmm. on these big bulky furniture. Docatot's kind bassinet is a lightweight, portable bassinet made with responsibly harvested corrugated cardboard. Now, this is not your typical cardboard. The essential model features a rectangular shape with ornately crafted pedestal feet and thoughtfully designed prints that keep the home feeling stylish and chic. It includes supportive Serona foam core mattress and a 100% cotton washable fitted sheet. Yeah, it's so nice because it's recyclable. And, you know, a lot of these companies are going to that, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to save our mother earth for sure. <laughs> Docatot is the lifestyle brand made for the modern parent and creates 
functional solutions for feeding, playing, resting, sleeping, lounging, and beyond. They have adorable essentials like nursing pillows that double as home decor. And the DACA Top brand grows with families throughout every stage of a child's life. You know, when I nursed, I always had a pillow around me. I just, it's just something that, and I used to carry it wherever I used to go. In the car, I traveled with it. The Docatot Lamamin Wedge is a nursing pillow designed to decrease neck and back strain that often goes along with nursing. And I know how that is. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. It's like your neck hurts from nursing because you don't want to wake, you know, like disturb the baby. So it's really, you know, supportive. Your home should be a reflection of your style. And with Docatot, you won't sacrifice style for function or safety. It's time to invest in a piece that will grow with your family. Babies, mamas, and gift givers. This is the best brand you can buy for the precious child and mom you love most. For a limited time, get 15% off docatot.com with the code BMSS. That's 15% off with code BMSS at docatot.com. Parenting is hard, but docatot makes it easier. When my mother went through menopause, I was like fit to be tied because all she did was talk about it. And this was during the hormone replacement and she was taking all these things and, oh, and it was, I hate to say it because it's kind of mean, I guess now, but it was kind of annoying to always hear. (laughs) So, and the reason I'm saying that is like when I get a headache or I don't feel like myself or I, you know, I know my body is changing. I like button up because I don't want to be that annoying like my mom was to my family. I'm like, just deal with it, Joe. Everybody goes through it. <laughs> yeah. Just so funny. Everybody's different. But I swore to my my sister and I were like, we are not going to be our mother when we go through mm-hmm. menopause and bitch nonstop about it. <laughs> family support really helps with it because especially when people have really terrible symptoms and they're really uncomfortable. I know. So, so I should have been more (laughs) supportive. (laughs) I'm just like, Oh my God, again. (laughs) It's so, so interesting and something people need to talk about. Yeah. I'm I'm just happy that we're talking about it. Yeah. We're not alone. Well, I think that's, that's a part of it. It's just like a feeling like, Oh, it's just me. Like it's just me (laughs) having this issue. And you're trying to solve it and figure out, okay, maybe it's the Diet Coke I had last night. Or maybe, like, <laughs> you know, you're thinking like, well, what is it? And it's like, oh, it's so much larger than you in that sense. Like, it, and I think sometimes we, because we don't talk about it, we don't share about it. And I never thought about when you said like there could be 30 symptoms. Honestly, I was just thinking about hot flashes. I didn't even think about. That's what I mainly think about too. Yeah. I, I didn't think about loss of sleep. I didn't think about necessarily weight gain. I didn't think about, you know, headaches or whatever happens to be. I'm like, wow. Or the mood swings. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I just think I'm just, miserable. So I'm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, more odd symptoms like air itching and body odor. There are things that like people don't even think about. And they don't know that they're tied to it because there's so there's a lack of information and people don't talk about it. Well, Dr. Judith, what's crazy to me is I wear deodorant every day, but sometimes I, I just don't even put it Thanks, on. Thanks, Melissa. I, but, but wait, but like I don't sweat, but now I have to put deodorant on. And I never have. Yeah, your body's changing. And I got a different deodorant because my Dove deodorant didn't work anymore. I had to go to like a medical deodorant. 
Isn't that weird? Hmm. Your body reacts to hormone changes in different ways. One of the common symptoms I see is like uh, people having to go to the bathroom a lot, right? And you just think, oh, that's old age, but no one ever put the correlation between, no, that's because your general urinary system is changing in response to a change in, in hormones. Uh, oh my goodness. Isn't that something? Oh, oh, how can goodness. that happen with you? You have to go so much. <laughs> and when she has to go, she has to go, right? <laughs> like, that's it. We both are like that. It's amazing. Wow. It's like all of this is connected. Mm, yeah. That's so wonderful. I'm like, wow. I, was, I didn't think about that. It's just like, okay. Could one of the symptoms be a rash? Some people do have skin changes. Because <gasps> I keep getting all right here, this rash, and I have not changed anything because everybody's like, oh, it's probably like something allergic. And I haven't changed anything. Like I use the same face stuff for the past 20 years. And can I eat the same way? So I don't know. Could that be something? You can, yes. Oh my gosh. And now there are like these menopause uh, clinics or spas popping up. I think that's, br that's a brilliant idea. You know, we don't want to pathologize menopause, but also if you have symptoms, let's say if you had asthma and you had symptoms related to it, no one would make you feel bad for getting treatment for asthma, you know, for yeah. like men who get older and they have erectile dysfunction, no one shames them, but women are supposed to just like age gracefully and deal with these things. No, that's what modern medicine's for, you know? <laughs> oh, I yeah. love you. <laughs> I do too. I, want, I wish we were in the same state. <laughs> yeah. It's so fascinating. It really is. It's oh. an eye opener. I'm just like, wow, this is have this conversation as frank and it's open. And you see like hormones, how much it has such a direct impact in your life. And you just don't know. Yeah. So what made you go into this field? Because you're, you're so young, at least you appear young. I don't know your age, but how did you figure out there's such a need for? So I, I also run a research lab. So ah. a lot of my research is um, in women's mental health. Oh. So I've done about three to four studies on postpartum depression and, you know, postpartum has a similar model. So you, you're going through pregnancy and your hormones are really high to really uh, protect this baby and uh, make this baby come to term. And then in your third trimester, your hormones start to drop. And so you start seeing women having depression, anxiety, sometimes OCD, sometimes psychosis when they have uh, severe mood changes related to that drop in hormones. So, you know, it, it got me interested in other areas of women's mental health where hormones play a role in mm -hmm. mood. So I started looking at a uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is basically a, a kind of a severe form of, of mood changes during around the uh, menstrual period. So some mm -hmm. of my patients will have like really severe anxiety leading up to their menstrual period or, or very low mood leading up to the menstrual period, when they get their period, then they feel better. So we see that how hormone plays a role in your mood throughout different stages of life. And that led me to be interested in menopause because that's the next experience in developing a woman, right? We never stop developing, we continue to develop. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking at, you know, whether or not th there should be different treatments in that area. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. What, what advice would you give moms to share with our daughters for preparation or any advice? Mm -hmm. So many times my patients will say, my mom never talked about this. My grandma never talked about this. My auntie <laughs> never talked about this. I don't know what my family history is. I think when you can present your family history and your own history 
to your doctors, Mm -hmm. they can do a much better job at helping you. Like, I can't tell you how many times Mm -hmm. a new patient has said to me, I don't know why I take this medicine or what it's for. How can your doctor help you if you don't have your whole history? A lot of times people don't talk about it. And then that helps so much in the diagnosis. If I know that in this family tree, this is more likely and this is more likely, that's where I'm going to look to help this patient. So when we talk about our family history, we talk about things openly, we're really preparing Mm -hmm. our children for the world. Um, So, you know, the way to get we're comfortable talking about uncomfortable things is talking about them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's so, it sounds so simple. Like, it's yeah, like, right. Like, it's so simple and it makes so much sense and so practical. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think we do that enough. Well, you know why, Hall? I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, it's it's not horrible. You know, I don't have cancer or anything really bad. So I'm like, oh, I can just tolerate this. Don't discuss, you know, just you try to lay low, not to burden people with your symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I feel like that. Like, I don't want to burden them with it. It's no big deal. I can deal with it. And I, and I can, but you don't have to alone, I guess. And I think you also have to try and be a strong woman. Like, oh, oh, I'm good. Yeah. My mom never talked to me about anything. Like we were so close, but we didn't even talk about our period. Like I went Mm -hmm. to my sister Yeah, or my friends. I don't even know. I was older when I got it, but, but my girls tell me everything like, which is great, you know, and it's just so different these days than it was when we were younger. I wish I had Paige on here. She has been doing this thing. Like I I think she has anxiety, but she asked her doctor and her doctor told her no. Um, I don't know if you saw, she did. She sent something out on TikTok to see if any doctors would respond to her. She keeps getting like where she can't, like she gets real hot, feels like she's going to throw up. Aww. And there's all these things that happen to her all at once. And then when she sneezes, it goes away. It's like the weirdest thing. And she gets, she's getting it a Is it a, a panic lot. attack? That's I don't know. so weird. Does she sneeze all the time? No, but that seems to be why it goes away. I don't know. I, it's why I said I wish she was on here because I could have asked her. But there's a there's a self administered scale that I use in research called the Beck Anxiety Scale. You could probably find it on Google and take to her doctor because it has like all the somatic or like the bodily symptoms of anxiety on there. Anxiety is one of those things is that someone could look you right in the face and say I'm not anxious, but they check high on all those things, right? People, some people just, that's just not a part of their, their language, right? They don't, they don't say it. In your, in your daughter's case, it sounds like she's saying I'm anxious. I, I think she is, but the doctor said no. Now, like, do you recommend somebody like she's 22? Like, do you recommend somebody that age starting like anxiety medicine? Or do you think it's, they should do other things to try to help that? I just feel like she's so young to start getting on a medication or something. It depends because I think with some people, the anxiety is so severe that they need relief right away. And because their anxiety is so severe, they won't get the most out of therapy. Even therapy Mm. is so anxiety provoking that they don't get anything out of it. So in those cases with my patients, I will start something for, uh, to help with the anxiety so that they can at least benefit from the therapy. Other patients, I try to start with the therapy first. So Cognitive behavioral therapy is really my go-to for anxiety. And there's like modules in it. There's homework that you have to do. You do worksheets and that helps you to train your brain to think differently so that you don't see basically everything as a threat. Because with anxiety, the part of the brain, the amygdala is on overdrive and things are perceived as being scary when they're really not. So on a logical level, you know, they're not, but your amygdala is just hyperactive. So you can actually retrain your- I think I have that. I have that. You know what I do? I I think I have that. Everybody has. It's going away, but I, there for a while, I was like, 
every time I put my dishes away in the dishwasher and I put them in the cabinet, I was like afraid the cabinet was like the dishes were too heavy and the cabinet was going to fall. Or like I would go put my clothes away in the closet and I'm like, oh, the like rod's going to fall because it's like too heavy. Like it was weird. Thoughts. And in, in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, you'll do worksheets where you challenge those automatic thoughts or eventually, even though you have the thoughts, you don't have as much of a reaction to them. So like so for some of my patients, I say, I want you to do cognitive behavioral therapy consistently. And then if after X amount of time, however long that the thought therapist wants to work with them, if you're still anxious to the degree, then come back to me and we'll do a combination of meds and therapy. And then in some cases where the anxiety is so crippling and, the, and then the, the student can't even go to school, I'm like, well, we can't really wait. You know, we, we have to start yeah. treatment right away. That's so interesting. Yeah. I've had anxiety for years and I'm really, really good at controlling it. It just happened the last like two years. I'm really, it's been, you know, because of therapy and I, you know, it's, uh, it's such an accomplishment for me. I just feel so good, but I, I have it still, but it's, you know, feels good that you can actually do something about it with the proper tools, you know, mm-hmm. with people, people like you, yeah. you know, it's a blessing. Dr. Judith, do you have any advice or some, like, if nothing else, I want people to leave with this knowledge, not that we have to get off right now or anything like that, but I want to make sure if there's anything And how can people say, find you? Yeah, right. sorry. I just want to clarify, anyone who's dealing with like mental health issues, is there something related to mental health that you want people to know that we maybe have not touched upon today? Like, it's really important that people know X, Y, and Z. I mean, I am like a lifelong student. So I, I, for me, I tell my patients, read about your precious brain, your brain cells, your neurons, they can't be replaced. Once they're damaged, that's it. So like cherish your brain, protect it. And I think it's just so empowering when you pick up a book and you learn about what you're going through and you feel like, okay, I understand this. I know it's not me. I know that it's something that, you know, can be addressed and there are, there's hope for me. So I think knowledge is so important. And if you're not a reader, audible books, like I listen to a lot of my books while I'm multitasking, or I'll like pop up like a podcast or just learn about what you're going through. Mm. And I think that that just gives you so much power. Cause even if you don't have a therapist and you're on a wait list, it does something for you when you know that, Oh, I understand this better. It's less mysterious, you know, and I'm not alone. So I, I just, I think that knowledge is power. And I think, Jill, what you're saying about women kind of like taking the brunt of it and not complaining, I think that's how a lot of mothers feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, we have to acknowledge that we sometimes we do too much and having our children see us relax and say, you know, what? I don't have to do it all. I can be I can't show weakness. I can't show vulnerability. I think that that gives them permission to also be weak and be vulnerable. Weak, yeah. I say, but it's not really weakness. It takes a lot of strength. No, you're right. Sometimes it's hard to do, but you, yeah. like you said, we have to train ourselves to do it and think differently and educate our children. I love it. Yeah, I think this is I, awesome. I love this. And going to like what Kelly said, we don't know if it's a misdiagnosis or not, but with Paige, but is there anything that we should be aware of? Like if you think you're being misdiagnosed, like if it comes to something like, oh my gosh, I don't think someone's hearing me or you're trying to reach out to a, a health professional. And like Kelly was saying, like, oh, I, I wish she was here so she we could talk more about it. But you don't feel like you were heard and you feel like they were rushing you and they weren't listening to you. That's not okay. A lot of us will put so much effort into picking out a new car or redecorating our homes. When it comes to our doctors, we don't, right? So if your doctor does not make you feel heard, then get a second opinion, get a third opinion. You know, you know your body better than anyone else. 
seek out that truth, right? Ask your doctors questions. And if they don't feel like they have enough you know, experience in that area, then ask for a referral. Uh, I think that you got to listen to your gut because you know yourself, you've known yourself longer than anyone else on this planet has, right? So um, follow your gut, know that it's you're worthy of feeling heard or being heard and, and being validated. Oh, that's great. Advice. Got it. Such great advice. How can people find you? Find me on TikTok and Instagram, Dr. Judith Joseph. Got it. I'm putting I you just down. Found you. I found you. <laughs> I'm a huge Dance Moms fan. Uh, I love that show. She's oh, yeah. It's going to be her most proud moment. Uh, How so old is your daughter? Six. Oh, you oh, lucky duck. Oh, good. Well, oh, does she so dance? Jealous. Does. Good. Keep her in dance because it's, it's good for their whole lives. I mean, our kids have... Oh. My I've done beautifully soul. with it. All Thank your daughters are beautiful. We admire them. Thank you. Thank How kind you. of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so oh, much. It was Thank you, Dr. So awesome. Judah. So great. Until next time, our paths will meet. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Because Mom Said So. Make sure to listen and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also ask us a question or suggest topics by sending us an email to becausemomsaidso4 at gmail.com and follow us on Because Mom Said So 4 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Tune in in two weeks because I'm a mom and because mom said so.